Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Reske. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Greg Bryan. I'm joined tonight with my other co-host, Jim Reske. Jim, how are you? Doing great, Greg. How are you doing? I'm super excited because a couple of reasons. One is this is our 100th episode. Can you believe that? And the next uh, one is 1,000. That's I was just going to say. We're on our way. Next time we celebrate, it's 1,000. Uh, and then, then 10,000. And 10, then we go to 10,000. That's right. Just keep going. And then who knows where we go from there. But guys, the limit. I'm also excited because we have a third guest with us. My friend Ali is joining us as we're we're going to be kind of focusing on Romans chapter 12. So Ali, how are you tonight? I'm doing awesome. Really excited to join you guys. Good. Sometimes, you know, we like to just start things off in a little bit of a lighthearted manner. So I like to share some of my my uh, I call them sticky jokes because they're kind of jokes that I <laughs> that I like to kind of stick with you. So you just um, can't get them off your mind. Exactly. In fact, last night, last night I, I had a dream and yeah. I dreamt I was a muffler and I woke up exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> if you're wondering, that was a joke. That was a joke. I thought it was real. It sounded so real. I, you you blended in really nicely. Yeah. I used to work at a calendar factory. I got fired for taking a few days off. <laughs> My last joke to get us started is, uh, have you ever heard this one? Whatever you do, do not trust an atom because they make up everything. <laughs> everything atoms Dude, that's Adam. the kind of joke that like kills at a convention of physicists there you yeah. go for all of our... like rolling in the aisles exactly but see i like i like jokes like that because they're so stupid they're funny that's right can't help but laugh <laughs> i yeah. i also had another dream i had this dream i was like eating marshmallows yeah and i kept eating marshmallow 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 i woke up and my pillow was caught <laughs> I think I I remember that one from second grade. (laughs) We better get serious here. So we're looking at the, you know, one of the greatest books in the Bible, the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul. I know, Jim, you and I have been been, uh, walking through this a bunch recently, and we're kind of at this turning point of chapter 12, where Paul gets really practical. It's kind of like, in light of everything I've written, this is how you need to live. This is how you need to serve God. And it starts off with this word, therefore. Theologians will tell you, whenever you see the word, therefore, in the Bible, figure out what it's there for. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that right? That it, what, what is the therefore, therefore? What is the therefore, therefore? But I wanted to just tell you guys that there are actually four significant therefores in the book of Romans. So look at chapter two for a second, if you have, if you can. Chapter okay. two, verse one, it says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you 
who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Any, any, uh, do you remember what that was about, Jim? Well, I think that was a, that was turning the page from chapter one to chapter two and chapter one talks about all the irreligious people in the world and the, that lawless and that they're all sinners. They're all hopeless sinners. And, but then he says in chapter two, there's lots of religious people in the world and they're all sinners too. Right. So I guess that therefore would be the, that kind of uh, contrast from saying that it's not just all the irreligious people in the world that are lost in their sins. He's, he's turning to the religious people and saying, you're lost in your sins too. Yeah. And one of the things I, I really like about that is it puts, it puts everybody on the same level, right? We're all right. sinners. That's Whether right. You're that... religious or irreligious. You're a sinner. That's right. Short of the glory of God. And so Paul's kind of setting up this argument of why we need the gospel. And the reality is we have this problem that we call sin. Yeah. And um, the only one who can solve it is God. And so the, se the, the second, therefore, comes in chapter five, verse one. Okay. Where Paul writes, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this, this talks about just the power of the gospel in a person's life. Yeah, that, because... Chapter one, chapter two is setting up the idea that everyone's a, everyone's a sinner. The irreligious are sinners. The religious are sinners. Then chapter three comes along and says, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But by chapter five, one, he's already shared the gospel. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, but it, it just shows you that, um, the, 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 everyone wants peace with God. Everybody, I mean, that's something, everybody wants peace. But Paul lays out the argument that the only way to get that peace is through Jesus. That's right. And through his death and resurrection. And so um, we're, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus died for all people. So that if we um, have placed our faith in him, it says we're justified, which is like, just as if we never sinned and that gives us peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ said so, Ali have you experienced that yeah I mean I think when I first came to faith I experienced the first time when I when I started learning about Jesus Christ and then when I accepted him as my Lord and Savior I experienced uh, like some sort of weight going off my shoulders so it almost felt like having that having that mental peace in life that you know you've been saved by by Lord Jesus uh, and having that satisfaction kind of gives you i think having that satisfaction in this world gives you that peace that you know we have someone who we can put our faith in so i think that's how i experienced it you know ali that feeling of that weight being lifted um yeah. the hymns that talk about you know my my chains fell off. My heart went free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. The feeling of your chains fell off. When you were saying that, I was just thinking about how Greg, like in Romans, the first parts of Romans, that you know, they're all, the, the irreligious and the religious, in Romans 1, Romans 2, they're all ways of being your own savior. 
and we've been talking about this as we go through Romans, just the idea that it's so heavy to be your own savior. It's so such a burden to be your own savior. So if you're irreligious and you say, yeah, you know, I don't, there's no sin. There's no such thing. There's no rules. I'm gonna, I, I, I'm a good person. I save myself. But mm-hmm. there's such a burden in that because you now you've got to justify yourself. And then the religious person says, I'll work really hard. I'll keep all the rules and then I'll be justified. And that's a horrible burden. So then I, I, this, <laughs> I'm glad you brought our attention to this Romans 5.1. Greg, because it's such a nice summary. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith, not that weight comes off, Ollie, like you're saying. And yeah. Yeah. Say, he's my savior, not me. It's so, so great. We're justified by faith. We're not justified by works. That's right. We're that's justified right. by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's one of the differences between religion and the gospel. Religion is always, you know, uh, I've got to, you know, I've got to do all these things. Then God will love me. Right. If then. That's right. Yeah. Where for if you really understand the gospel and the reason we talk about being gospel addicts is that you realize that Jesus did it all. And um, because of what he's done for us um, on his on the cross. And through his death and resurrection, now we get to live our lives out of gratitude. Now we want to serve him. Now we want to do um, yeah. all these things. We want to go to church. Yeah. It's, it's. I think, uh, me coming from a Muslim background, I was, it was like a fresh breath of air when I first experienced it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Islam, it's like, you know, the prophet already write down or wrote down all those guidelines that you know you have to wake up every morning at five and then offer your first prayer of the day whereas jesus never told anybody to wake up on sunday at 8 a.m and then hey you have to go to church they do that because they want to learn more about him they want to be part of that community and they want to stay close with jesus that's why they do it so they do it out of their love and their faith for jesus not by any sort of uh, obligation that is a great summary, and uh, that's where where we are going today. When we get to Romans twelve. That is great. That is great. That is so perfect. let's talk about the third. Therefore, it's in eight chapter chapter eight verse one. Mm, I love Jim, this. Uh, yeah, I'm going to read it, but then Jim, you you taught on it, so yeah. I'm going to let you summarize the imp- why is this therefore? What is this therefore? Therefore, yeah, it says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So how would you, what, what's the significance of, you know, Paul writing therefore? Yeah, it was just, well, we were just talking about this. So if someone is listening to the podcast, I might've heard me speaking on this um, a few podcasts ago, but this is it, Romans 8 verse 1 on its own is just one of the most incredible verses in scripture, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if it was all about following the rules and about being a good person and saving yourself, you'd say, well, there's still some condemnation. There's a little bit of condemnation. But this verse says there's no condemnation. Anyway, in Christ Jesus, you're justified by faith 100%. That alone is incredibly good news, right? That's the gospel. But it's the juxtaposition with Romans 7 that makes it so incredible. That's what the therefore is there for, right, Greg? It's yeah. Romans 7, there's this, this great crescendo of Paul saying, I'm such a mess. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the very things that I do. And then he ends by saying, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this 
body of death. And then you get right. That's how Romans seven ends. He's just talking about his awareness of his deep he, sinfulness. He's, yeah, he's kind of he's kind of like um, hopeless at right. that point, right? Right. It's sort of like a a desperation. And he's writing this as a Christian. And right. I know Ali, you and I have talked about this: how the Christian life is a struggle. It's a struggle yeah. because we still battle with our sin. Like um, we wish it was taken. You know, we wish it was totally taken away from us. But we we kind of <laughs> live with this daily battle going on. And, and Paul is talking about that. And he kind of gets to this desperate thing of like, who's going to rescue me? Who can rescue me? But then it says, but thanks be to God um, through Jesus Christ. And then it, then it turns right to Romans eight, one. That's right. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the magic of it. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Your dog agrees. <laughs> that dog loves Romans eight one. <laughs> even even the dogs, you, well, you can't stay silent, right? Even the dogs, that's right. <laughs> so, is there anything else you want to say about that eight one, Jim? No, let's okay. let's move on. Let's move on to Romans twelve. Okay. Um, Romans twelve. Well, we got to start. We can't read the whole chapter. We got to just start mm -hmm. with the first two verses because there's so much, so much in those first two verses. So we like to, in the podcast, we like to actually read the scripture um, so you don't have to look it up. So let's, let me read the first two verses and then let's, let's talk about this, uh, this important uh, passage from Paul. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what it, what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So I heard that there was this David Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher who's, you know, um, he, he actually preached 11 sermons on these two verses. And um, our good friend Tim Keller makes a comment about that. He's like, and when you, when you, when you, and he, he, because Tim Keller read through all those sermons and he said, you realize that that's not even enough. There's so much depth to what Paul is saying here. But what are some of your initial thoughts of this, Jim? Well, you know, let's look at some commentaries before we get started. And I think some people are looking at this there for, I think it is it summarized just in Romans uh, 11, or is it summarized the entire, all the whole message of Romans up to this point, the whole gospel up to this point? And some people think it was just, it's a summary of the entire gospel up to this point, right? Or the summary of the entire, it's a reflection on the entire book of Romans up to this point, where Paul's talking about the gospel and how it works uh, and everything about the gospel. And, and then, then, he, then he comes and says, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And the thing that with the commentators that I read were noticing about it was, in this, therefore, it's like this appeal. I mean, the commands come later. We'll get to those in Romans 12. You got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. But this is like an appeal. I please, I'm begging you. You know, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Right? It's not, it's like a not, it's not a command at this point. It's almost like, gosh, like I'm begging you. And I thought, Greg, about like, it's, we talk about this a lot, like the offer of Christianity, the offer of Christianity is so astounding. 
And nothing else offers that. I mean, if you put your faith in him, all your sins are washed away. You have hope for, you know, you, it, it, there's, it, there's such an offer in Christianity. And it always boggles our mind. We, we talk about this. It just boggles the mind that people don't want that or take the offer. But here's Paul like putting that off on the table saying, I'm begging you. you know, please take the, take the offer. Take the offer, right? Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Right? It's... um. Yeah, and if you think about just what, you know, it says by the mercies of God, well, what what has Paul already told us in the book of Romans about the mercies of God? He's He said that we are just, we have justification from the guilt and penalty of sin. Yeah. Which yes. is crazy. We've been adopted in Jesus and um, have identification with Christ. You know, we are his sons and daughters if we if we trust him. We've been placed under grace, not the law. We've been given the Holy Spirit to live within us. We've been we have the promise of help in, in all affliction. We have the assurance of our standing in God's election. We have confidence of his coming glory, confidence of no separation from the love of God, confidence in God's continued faithfulness. I mean, those are the mercies of God. Yeah, that that sounded really incredible. Were you reading from something? It sounded like you were I was. I was reading from a commentary. Okay. I thought you just, I thought that was just off the top of your head. Like, don't help me on the top of my head. Here are the mercies of God. Like, wow, Greg, that was, you should write that down. That was great. I wish, I wish I was, I wish I was that smart, but, um, <laughs> but I mean, that I, I, I definitely think that, that, that this, this therefore is not just for, you know, in contrast to chapter 11. I think this is the one that goes, He's reflecting back on the whole book of Romans. And uh, and I, I like the whole idea about living sacrifices. It's kind of like an oxymoron, you know, because, <clears throat> uh, you know, it, anybody who knows anything about s sacrifices and especially the sacrificial system that was that the Jews practiced during that time. us When you put a sacrifice on the altar, it was dead. Right. And so mm -hmm. that that sacrifice wasn't going anywhere. And it's interesting that Paul uses this kind of same terminology with us, at, and he calls us living sacrifices. So it's almost yeah. like we, we have to willingly put ourselves on the altar. But every um, many people have made the comment that the problem with a living sacrifice is we always crawl off the altar. Right. That's right. Um, we don't stay there. Right. We don't stay there. And again, I think that's a description of the Christian life. You know, we're, we're constantly you know, on a daily basis, we've got to, you know, um, surrender our lives back to God. And that's why we need, we need the gospel. We need Jesus every day. Um, not for our salvation, but for our sanctification. Yeah. I've heard lots of, you know, sermons on living sacrifice and, and always, always is a kind of an odd combination of words that I was never really clear about. Or I really didn't understand. And I think uh, I think I told you this once before, Greg, a long time ago. That um, I don't see there's there's a secular song from uh, a band called uh, called Pearl Jam that helped me understand what living sacrifice means. They have a song called Wish List. It's probably twenty or twenty five years old now. And there's just a line. He talks about I wish this and I wish that. There's a line in the song that says I wish I was a sacrifice, but somehow still lived on. And it's um, it's not a Christian song. It's definitely not a Christian band. Uh, but it sounds like a, a verse, a line in the song that someone could have written only if they knew Romans 12, verse 1, you know, 
but saying, I wish I was a sacrifice, but somehow still lived on. And that just somehow that just clicked in me and helped me clarify, no, being a living, living sacrifice. I want to be a sacrifice. My whole life is a sacrifice of worship to God, right? He died for me in a, in a reflection of that, in response to that. I want to give my life back to him. I want to sacrifice, but still living on, but still living, right? It's not because we, we passed over from death to life. So I'm still going to live on. I'm still going to live, but I want to live my entire life for him as a living sacrifice. Anyway, strange little thing to pick up some spiritual insight from a, from Pearl Jam, but uh, that that little line in that song helped me out. Uh, very interesting, Ali. Do you have any comments you want to make so far? So I was just like going through the verse again, and then you know where it says, "Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God." And then in verse two, it says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind." I think. That itself is probably the biggest living sacrifice that we can make, because uh, to uh, to to not be conformed by this world is probably the biggest challenge. I wake up every day, and you know, like like we talked about, you know, Christian life being a struggle. Uh, that's what it is. You know, it's so easy to be to get conformed by this world. You know, there's there's so much evil all around you. And I think that you restricting yourself from committing all the possible sins is probably one of the biggest living sacrifice that you can offer to God, which is holy and perfect. Hmm. That's man. That's a great thought. You know, uh, an interesting Ali, the, the word be transformed in the yeah. Greek is the word metamorpho. Oh, Does that mm-hmm. sound like another word metamorphosis. Yes, evolution. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it it literally means to be transfigured. It means to be to change into another form. And so it's actually used four different times, twice in the gospel, referring to Jesus when he was actually transfigured in front of the disciples. Oh, that's the same word for the transfiguration? That's the same word for the transfiguration. Oh, wow. And so, but it's also used in 2 Corinthians 3.18. What does that it says, say? I believe I have to look it up, but I think it's with unveiled faces. Second uh, Corinthians three eighteen. Um, and, can... and we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with an ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's the idea that. What God desires is that we would become more and more like Jesus. Yeah. You know, and it, it kind of reminds me, it kind of reminds me of Jim's last week's sermon when I was uh, at the at the youth center where he was talking about, you know, I'm going to jump to the moon. Yeah. You know, which is like an impossible task. Like you can. But, I, was, I was hoping that would stick with somebody. So thanks for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it did stuck with me. I'm, I've been trying to jump <laughs> ever since then. <laughs> well, but you know, it, it's also it's also like uh, you know, you every day you're gonna improve. You know, if you start practicing your jump every day, you're gonna improve, and you're gonna try and try and jump as higher as you can reach the moon. But it's also it's also uh, a fact that Jesus jumped for us. Right. right in our place. Je- Jesus jumped for us in our place to reach the moon. So if we put our faith in Jesus, 
you know, that that jump will happen for us too. But we still practice every day so that we can jump as high as Jesus did and practice so, that life. So for those of you who may be listening to this podcast that didn't hear the uh, reference that Ali's talking about, the, the, um, the, the, the idea, the um, metaphor was, was like saying, look, if, uh, if I'm practicing my jumping skills and I think I'm, I can jump and I set a goal and I say, I'm going to jump and I'm going to jump um, uh, to the moon. And if I, you know, I've been saying I'm, getting, I'm jumping and I'm practicing, I'm getting higher and higher and higher. My goal is to jump to the moon. Then the immediate response someone would say is, well, how high exactly do you think the moon is above the earth? And in my little joke or example, I was saying, well, I think the moon is a good 15 or 20 feet over the earth. In other words, <laughs> you're describing it as if holiness in your personal life is achievable that you could actually do it in your flesh. And you got the point, Ollie. The point is Jesus accomplished it for you. You can't do it. Then in, in so it's, it was given to you. So in his in his mind, in his eyes, he said, he says, "When I look at you, I see someone who can jump to the moon because I gave you that righteousness. You're not achieving it on your own." But you're right. So the response, you want to do, you want to do those things. In response, because he gave me that righteousness, therefore I want to do those things. But what I think is interesting about this is that it does, like when you read this verse and it says, "Do not be conformed to this world." I think right, conform to this world. There's so many, like you said, so many pressures to conform to this world. You wake up every day. The minute you wake up, there's the minute you look at social media, there's pressures to conform to this world, the way the world thinks. But then it says, be transformed. And you almost think it was going to say, be transformed by the, by the improvement of your behavior. You know, be transformed by cleaning up your act, by becoming a better person, by uh, stopping the bad things you do and starting to do good things. In other words, that was a message that says, you know, you know what you got to do in the Christian life is you got to start to try to jump to the moon. You've got to clean up your act and you know, you um, uh, improve your behavior, but it doesn't. It says be transformed by the renewal of your mind, the renewal of your mind. And if you think about what, he, what Paul saying in earlier chapters about set your mind on things above, not on things that on the earth, this notion of real transformation, real transformation comes on renewing what you mind, renewing your mind. It's, 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 a, it's a progression. We've talked about this before, but it's a progression of your awareness. Paul, mm -hmm. Paul is more and more aware that he's a sinner. He's more and more aware of God, what God did for him on the cross, more and more aware of God's holiness and more and more what Jesus did from the cross. So he's, he's growing in his awareness. He's growing in his, he's renewing his mind by doing those things. That's why he's so grateful. And that's why he's presenting his body as a living sacrifice and, and, and loving, it, loving God more and more every day. But the renewal of the mind, I think is interesting because it's not, it's a, it's a different way of thinking of, the, of growth in your Christian life the sanctification process, then, you know, be transformed by the improvement of your behavior, right? You, you do improve your behavior. You want to, but the, 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 the but, but, but real Christian progress is measured by renewing your mind, changing what you mind, changing what you dwell on and, and be more and more aware of his, his gospel every day. Yeah. It's, it's inside out. It's inside yeah, out. It and starts, right. starts with, starts with the mind. So essentially, he says we should be living sacrifices, which is like being a living dead person. Um, and uh, and then we should not conform to the world. And when we should mention that when it talks, when the Bible talks about the world, in this case, it's talking about the fallen, corrupt, sinful, broken world that we live in. And it's it's really. We've also talked on this podcast about how people people have a worldview. People have a way that they view the world. 
it's it, it, it's really hard. I mean, to me, it makes so much sense. Can can you really argue that the world is? Is there anybody out there that's saying the world's not broken, the world's not corrupt, the world's you know, not fallen, the world's yeah, not I'm, the way it should be? Right, right. I, there are lots of people who say there's no such thing as sin. The, ir- the, the, the re- irreligious view of the world is like, oh, there's no such thing as sin. Sin is something Christianity made up, or sin is religious makeup. But what I think the counter argument to that is exactly what you're saying. If you go to everybody in the world, put a microphone in front of them and says, what do you think is wrong with the world? Everyone has an answer for that question. Everyone says there's something wrong. Everybody, no, there's no one who says, oh, the world, no, what are you talking about? It's perfect. It's perfect the way it is. Nobody says that, mm-hmm. right? And, and so everyone knows it's broken and fallen, but yet uh, uh, it's a great theologian, John Hanna from Dallas Theological Seminary. He, uh, in his course in church history, he said, "There's, it's funny that people deny the existence of sin, but if you look at all of human history, there's more evidence for sin than like anything else in any history. <laughs> the history is filled with evidence of just, you know, brutal wars and selfishness and kingdoms and, and, and there's more evidence for sin than anything in history and yet people still go through their lives and say i don't know what you're talking about i'm not a sinner there's no such thing as sin it's crazy so you know one you know as i'm doing ministry with with people i think part of my job is just to get them to think yeah get them to think about what their worldview is and to see that their worldview doesn't match up with reality how do you do that well you do it by asking questions you do it by helping them figure out what worldview they have you know your worldview is almost like a pair it's like your glasses you know everyone everyone has a pair of glasses and they and everyone's are a little different i kind of find it fascinating um so i like to practice spiritual curiosity I, I think, you know, even with Ali, you know, I, I asked you a lot of questions. Like, I wanted to understand where you came from. So, um, yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts, Ali? Well, just, just that we're talking about what's wrong with the world. I want to start off with a question. What, what are you both, for, for both of you, what do you think what's the biggest conflict in this world? What's the biggest conflict? The biggest conflict in this world? Yeah. Mankind's rebellion against God. Okay. How about you, Greg? Yeah, I I think I would say something along the same lines that we've all turned our backs on God and we're living in a world in light of that. So relationships are broken. Um, there's, um, you know, that, 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 re- that act of, turning away from god has you know caused all kinds of calamity in this world um what do you think ali well i was having this conversation with uh, with a friend yesterday and i my answer might be a little different from your answers but i feel like the biggest conflict right now in the world is religion Mm. oh Because, I mean, if you look at it, uh, humankind uh, has this uh, very small problem, but also very big problem, which is they do not agree to disagree. 
right? It is so hard to agree to disagree. Uh, Muslims do not agree with Hindus. Hindus do not agree with Muslims. Christians do not agree with Muslims. And then Muslims also do not agree with Christians and all the other religions. They all kind of try and teach mostly good stuff, but they do not agree with each other. And I mean, if you look at historically, all the wars or whatever has been happening, it's been happening for one very major reason, which is, you know, religion. If you, if you go back, there, there, the Christians were fighting Muslims and then there was the time when Hindus were fighting Muslims. So it's always that lack of acceptance towards each other because everybody thinks that their religion is right and, you know, the other person's religion is wrong. So what I practice is right and what they're practicing is wrong. But And I think that kind of leads towards, which we might discuss later, which is, which is self-righteousness. You know, we all think that we are right and everybody else is wrong. And I think uh, God God tells us that do not think of yourself as righteous. Do not think do not think that you are you are perfect. Yeah. Mm. So I think I know, the biggest think, conflict. Yeah. I think that's good. I think that's I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. And um you know, the the whole concept of sin is that we're kind of turned in on ourselves. We're self-centered self-righteous um self anything it's all about it's all about us and uh um jim do you have any 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 thoughts on that about the and if you look about like jesus himself was the the religious people were the ones who were, (laughs) were the ones who really essentially um put him to death like they they could not handle him and he was the kindest i mean it's just it's just crazy to think about the way he treated people was was amazing like he was so gentle and so kind so accepting and um the you know he he did have some harsh words towards the religious people but it's because he was trying to like shake them up a little bit and help them see their their self-righteousness and um yeah what do you think jim oh just a couple thoughts i think it's very it's it's, uh, very profound ollie and very interesting i think uh there's no doubt that religion's been a source of enormous conflict in the world historically um if if for all kinds of different religions for all kinds all kinds of different times and it's a reason why i think a lot of uh, non-christians or secular people just non-believers of any religion Avoid religion. They'll say, "Look, look at that! Look, look, look. They'll say religion has been the source of all wars, and all wars have stemmed from religion." Now, by the way, I, don't, I actually don't think that's factually true. I think if you look at like World War II, uh, Hitler attacking uh, other parts of Europe was not caused by his religious point of view, religion. Yeah, you know, there and they're like, if you look at to, today, we're we're, brought, we're recording this in twenty two on twenty twenty two, Russia has attacked Ukraine. This is a war of territorial ambitions and conquests by their religion so there's lots of other words of not religious based but you could make the case though that you say um they may not be wars of religion but reflecting the same underlying thing you were saying which is their wars of belief we believe your territory should be part of russia therefore we want to attack you we believe in uh, if you look at you know, Hitler, World War II, our, our fascism is the only way to stop your communism. We need to attack you. And we believe you really should be Poland. You should be part of Germany because their Germans live. There's all kinds of beliefs that people have deeply. They'll say it's not religious, but it is. 
They'll say it's not. Yeah. I'm, I'm very secular. I'm very secular. <laughs> but it goes back to what we were saying before. Everybody says there's something wrong with the world. Everybody yeah, and, and says there's something wrong with the world. But, but Christians are the only ones, real Christians, because Christians have started as worse. You look back at the Crusades, it's awful. It's an awful part of uh, Christian history. But Christians yeah. are the ones when you're asked, what is wrong with the world? They should be saying, if they understand the gospel, the answer yeah. to that question is, I, it's me. I'm the one that's wrong with the world. I'm a, I'm a sinner in desperate, desperate need of forgiveness. That's that's the view that doesn't start wars. That's the view that says, yes. I, I'm lost. I need a savior. I'm sorry, Ali, you were going to say something. I, I, agree, I agree with that because that's why I said my answer might not sound the same, but it is kind of related to what you both said. I mean, you kind of went to the root of the problem, right? And which is like, you know, disagreement with God. I mean, that that is also part of why, you know, there is this religious conflict in the world because the humankind is, you know, turning their backs, turning their backs towards God. So I think, yeah, mm. it, it is kind of related, but it doesn't sound the same, but it's like a subdivision answer of what you guys said. So to bring it like to Romans 12, when he says, I'm begging you by the mercy of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to what I'm like, I'm begging you, hear what I'm saying in the gospel. You have to admit you are a lost sinner, whether you're religious or irreligious. You have to be like me in Romans 7 mm -hmm. saying, I can't do this. I can't keep the law. I can't be a good person. I, and in Romans 8, 1, that, you know, therefore there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's relied on all that gospel. You got to get that. And, and, and then if you get that, then you're going to be, you know, look, Ali, in, in, to, for your, to bring it to, to home for this conversation, then you're going to be an instrument of peace. Right, they're going to be yeah. an instrument of peace in this world. If you say, "I get the gospel," I'm in desperate need of salvation. I'm such a lost sinner. God Himself had to die for me. Right? I mean, that is what Christianity teaches. It should take away all self righteousness and all, all, all. Um, that should really erase conflict, not cause conflict. So let's move forward. So then, verse three, he says, "For." For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who acts, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Um, just so this section kind of, he lays out these, kind of like spiritual gifts and how we're, we're all part of one body of Christ, but God has given us each, uh, given us gifts, gifts of the spirit. And I like at the very beginning, he, he, he kind of, it's almost like a little bit of a warning of just saying, Hey, receive these gifts with humility. Um, you know, um, and realize that they're gifts, they're gifts of grace there. You did nothing to deserve these gifts. You did nothing to earn these gifts. And uh, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think um, when you practice these gifts. And in, in some of my research, just so you know, 
Um, there's seven gifts listed here. Okay. Um, and what's interesting about that is if you're into numerology, you know, the, the number seven people that are into the, like the Bible and numbers, the number seven represents like the perfect number or the number of completion. And so, you know, you could say, well, these are these seven gifts, but we know in other passages of scripture, Paul lists out other spiritual gifts, but they're basically prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, and mercy. But um, do you guys have any uh, any any thoughts on, on, on this uh, section? Well, I, I got a question. Just reading it now, Greg, with you, and this is kind of what we do in the podcast. We look at this stuff and say, what do you think this means? I don't know. What do you think it means? That's what a lot of our conversations are like, right? Yeah. So we just look at Romans 12, verse 2. Oh, let me tell you this, because this might help um, as, as think about it. I, just find, I did find kind of a very, very, very summary outline of the whole book of Romans on, in one of the commentaries. And it says everything in Romans up to this, Romans, from the beginning of Romans 1 to the, almost the end of Romans 11 is all about doctrine. And then the last couple of verses of Romans 11, we talks about how greater the, the riches and the wisdom of God. That's the doxology, just those few verses at the end of Romans 11. So doctrine, then doxology. And then the first two verses we just did in Romans 12, 1 and 2 are dedication. Therefore, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And now everything else that comes after this is duty. So it's doctrine, doxology, dedication, and duty. I thought that was a very handy little outline for the whole book. Um, so you turn from dedication, the first two verses of Romans 12, to duty. And like you said, now think of duty. But my question is, and I look at, I get the idea where they say in, in, in starting in verse 4, look, you got all these spiritual gifts, seven gifts. You've got to use those to serve one another. So now, now that you understand the gospel, here's what you've got to do. And then in, if in, even further down in Romans 12, like starting in verse 9, there's all kinds of commands. We'll get to that. But what about verse 3? Why is that in here? Why is 3 in here? Why is 3 the, the, the connector between, you know, this uh, dedication of Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then starting to talk about spiritual gifts. It's like, don't, I, I, I love Romans 12, 3, by the way, as a standalone verse. Like, just don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Think to have sober judgment, have an accurate view of yourself. It's all about self-image. It's really, it's a cool verse. I'm just not sure. I've thought of this before. How does that, why does he say that after Romans 12, 1 and 2? And then as a lead into the whole gift thing in what do, you, what do you what do you think, Greg? I wonder. I wonder if it's if it's not so much connected to one and two, is it is connected to what comes after it? How which so? Is basically, saying, you know, with when it comes to spiritual gifts, you know, if you you think about some of those gifts that are listed here, um, you you can you know service, teaching, giving, leadership, mercy, um you can become pretty spiritual. I think it's, I think it's about spiritual pride. Actually. Oh, like a, the pecking order of the gifts that some might be seen as more valuable than others. Yeah. Or you might think of yourself as more important than others. Oh. Like, you know, I've got the gift of leadership. I've got the gift of teaching. You know, you have the gift of mercy, but you know, where you just start comparing, you know, like the three of us, the three of us, God has given us different gifts. And with the, and when you mix in a person's personality and their their level of maturity, 
everybody's everybody's unique right like we all have like our fingerprint is unique we all our our spiritual giftedness is unique and it's meant to work together as part of a body but so often we can just get focused on comparing ourselves to other people and being like man i wish i had the gift of leadership like so and so or i just wonder if it if it if it has to do with it's almost a warning against spiritual pride well so that's my first thought and i could be wrong no no i think that's good i think that's good i think maybe maybe then the tie-in with like verse two that if you're comparing yourself in that pecking order or if you're if you're putting yourself more highly than others that is being that's thinking like the world thinks right that's conforming your thinking to the way the world looks at things always sizing up somebody else drawing your self-image from something you do or have that's better than somebody else right that's that would be thinking that's conformed to the world and not the re- transformed by the renewal of your mind so like because so so maybe like if you say look if you heard everything i just said in romans 1 through 11 the gospel says you're a lost sinner the gospel says you're you're completely justified but only by his gift what he did for you you didn't earn any of it you are completely holy in his eyes but not because anything you did you're the lost sinner it's all a gift even if you have any great uh you know talents to give in the christian body of christ like the way he lists here they're all gifts it's not you it's all gifts therefore you know don't think the way the world thinks be transformed by the ruin of your mind and here's a great example of that um just use your gifts to serve each other and don't don't use it to build your self-image or you know your your own spiritual pride I just never put those together. I'm sorry, I wanted to ask it. And, and Ali, I kept talking there. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that at all. I was just trying to put this together because I did. I never thought of this before. Why do these verses come one after the other? Well, I'm just. I think it's more about you know, telling us that we all are different in our talents, and we all are different with our abilities, but still very important and function as one body. Uh, and I think that's what we all are gifted. But if imagine if if Greg wasn't here with us, this podcast would not be as exciting as it is now. We'd be lost. Or yeah, right. So I think it's like all no jokes at all. <laughs> we wouldn't have any of the dad jokes. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like we all are important and we all function together. And that is when you know we are most. Uh, we are at our best or, you know, most productive. So I think that's what it is. That's a great thought here, here, just to close this out, you know, um, Paul is going to talk about how to exercise spiritual gifts, you know, as part of the body of Christ. And in this warning about humility seems to be in order because he's, uh, given the inordinate, inordinate pride that often arises from those who regard themselves as spiritually gifted, you know, mm. um, and this I'm getting this from a help of a commentary. We should remember that spiritual giftedness does not equal spiritual maturity. Just because a person has a substantial spiritual gifts does not mean they are necessarily spiritually mature or a worthy example. Interesting. So, um, that reminds me of a story, Greg. I remember once about some. It was it happened a long time ago in England. It was some incredibly gifted preacher that was preaching, and it was it was very very young, 
And then a bunch of the senior pastors were, were just talking about him and reviewing what he was saying. And it was a he in the story. And they said, he's brilliant. And this preaching is incredible. But then they all kind of said, yeah, but he hasn't. And they could put their finger on it. But after talking, they said, he just hasn't been knocked around by life. Hasn't been, hasn't been knocked around by life enough yet. You know, so that the giftedness was still there. And, and I, I, I don't know how the story ended. I'm sure that person became an even better preacher as they got knocked around by life and had those experiences, right? But um, what you just said reminded me of that story. You get these gifts, but you also bring to it um, your experiences. Um, God uses those experiences to shape you. And then, like you said, your personality as well. Yeah, I think uh, God also has this way of, you know, kind of teaching you how to stay grounded. You mm. know, every now and then I've, I've seen it in myself and I've seen it in so many people when they kind of achieve something or, you know, do something big that having that sense of pride, it's very easy to, to get that, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, I did. Oh, I did this. So, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's just our default setting. I don't know what it is, but you, you can you can easily have that pride in you for for being more successful or being more rich or it could be anything so i think it, it is also kind of trying to tell us that no matter how talented you are be humble stay grounded i yeah. like that i it, it is it is our default setting don't yeah. you think jim <laughs> yeah i i've uh i never said before we human beings have a deep-seated need to look down our nose at somebody or something. <laughs> no matter who you are, you're like, well, I'm not like those people over there. <laughs> and whatever it is, you're always looking down your nose at somebody for something. And maybe Paul's just setting it up here saying, guys, even if you're incredibly gifted, it's not you. It's all a gift. It's, it's a gift. For, it's called a gift for a reason. It comes from him. Right. And you don't need to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. I think uh, I can't. I think this came from Pastor Joe. Um, he used the example of like three helium balloons. I was just and thinking the three balloon one, thing. One balloon. I was just thinking one, of that. one balloon is really high. One balloon is kind of in the middle and one blue is balloon is is low. And we always put ourselves in the middle. Right. We're the middle balloon. Our default setting is we're the middle balloon. We're always looking at people that are that that we think are better than us, but then we're always we've always got to look down on somebody. Right. Is, is that how that illustration goes? Yeah. No, I remember that. I thought <laughs> he had other examples of that sermon. That that's funny. I was exactly I was thinking of the three balloon sermon as you were talking about that because that that stuck with a lot of people. Was well, something about the way he described it. And and Ali, he had like he had the helium balloons on stage anchored just with different. I answers. remember that. So Do you remember I was that too? I was really? I was at TCC at that. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was it was such a great example, such a simple concept. But yeah. you're right. You say and, and and I think one example we'd say like when I see someone driving, they're going like way too fast. They pass me in the highway. I say, well, that person's driving too fast. Then he comes up behind mm -hmm. someone who's driving too slow. I say, well, that person's driving too slow. But you always think I'm driving just right. <laughs> right. And uh, and it. To stay with the car thing, it was another example. He said, well, someone's got this fancy car. Well, that person's obviously too much in the money. And that per someone driving a, an old beater car, well, that person just hasn't been responsible. Like, I, there's always the high balloon, the low balloon. You're putting yourself in the middle. You know, I'm Goldilocks. I'm, I've got a child. So I think, I think Paul in this passage is like, before he lists out these gifts, he's basically saying, hey, I want all the balloons to be equal. 
<laughs> yeah, well, at the same level. <laughs> at the, yeah, yeah, at the same good. level. And then maybe Jesus is like a million miles off. Well, or maybe you say, look, in the gospel, all your balloons are completely empty and deflated. They had nothing. If they're floating at all, it's because God gave it to you. There you go. There you go. It, we're probably pushing the analogy way too far, though. All right, let's let's move on to this last uh, section of chapter twelve because it's a it's an important one. Would you mind reading it, Jim? Yeah, sure. I I'll start at verse nine to twenty-one. Okay, nine to twenty-one. I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with a lowly. Never be wise in your own self. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you reading that. Let's talk about our first impressions of this this uh, this passage. Ali? So I have a question, and I want to ask it straight up before I forget about it. But if you, if you read uh, verse 19, which says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So how, what, what does uh, a Christian or someone who is following Christ make of this verse? If someone does something really wrong to me, should I leave it to Lord? And Lord will take your revenge with that person or you just, you know, forgive that person from, you know, your heart truly from your heart you forgive that person no matter you know how bad that person has done to you uh, well what's what's the what's the catch of this phrase well, that's a really easy answer i'll jim i'll let you answer it <laughs> you got the easy answer. <laughs> straight out the middle easy greg why don't you go ahead and take it <laughs> no because i i I, I want you I want you to answer this one. Oh, I, don't, I don't think it is an easy answer. I think it's kind of it's kind of tricky and complicated because I, I think the spirit of the verse is you're wronged. And if, you, if you're not if you're not a Christian and you're wrong, you feel like, oh, yeah, no one wrongs me. I'm going to get back. I'm going to repay. I'm going to get vengeance. Right. That's revenge. You hurt me. I'm going to hurt you back. And I'm going to probably hurt you back even harder. And the gospel notion is saying I don't deserve anything. You know, and if someone hurts me, I, I don't deserve anything. So, so I, I don't have to have that kind of ang you know, angry vengeance where I've got to go back and inflict pain on someone who inflicted pain on me. Um, I'll give you a, a, just a quick example of this. Uh, uh, um, 
the way I've kind of wor worked it out. I, I can, re uh, I often think about it, can remember like hurtful words people spoke to me. And I can think about it and say, oh, I just I can't believe that person said that thing to me. And those kinds of words used to haunt me. Like you, you, you hear those words, things people, someone said to you that was hurtful years ago, that would go in your mind, you just dwell on it, think about it. I can't believe that person said that to me. And it took me a while in like Christian faith to grow and say, as I grew in the Christian faith to say, wait a second. First of all, I said lots of hurtful words to other people too. But secondly, if the gospel is true, all those things that people said to me where they didn't respect me and they didn't give me the courtesy I thought I deserved, and they didn't give me the, the honor I thought I deserved, the reality is whatever hurtful words they said to me, I deserve far, far, far worse. If the gospel is true and I'm a really lost sinner, all those hurtful things, they were kind. They were better than I deserved, right? Even the, the nasty things people said to me were better than I should have gotten because if you knew the, the dark evil inside of me, you don't know the half of it, right? It'd be, it'd be, I, I deserve harsher words than that. And so that helped me a lot to say, I don't have to dwell and replay those tapes of what someone said to I me. Mean, I could say, I don't need it. And I don't need to find a way to get back at them and say something back. I could say, it's okay. I, I let it go. Now, the, what you're getting at, though, is difficult. So you say, oh, so, okay, say, someone, you know, comes by and burns down your house. Do you pursue legal action against them? Do you... Mm -hmm. Just say, oh, you know, I'm a sinner too. You can burn down my house. It's okay. Like, uh, do, do Christians let themselves get walked over? Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, th what I said before is kind of a personal answer and an easier answer, like on a personal level, not to get angry. There's this uh, notion of, you know, should, should Christians seek legal redress for those kinds of harms, right? Um, but I don't, and, I don't think that's vengeance, though. There, I, yeah, thanks. I was actually going to distinguish that, but you're right. That's, that's a distinguish, you know, vengeance is something different than just yeah. legal action against legal remedy. someone who wrongs you. Vengeance would be like you going back and burning their house. Well, that, yeah, good point. Good point. If but I like, call the police and I say, hey, um, you know, someone's got to pay for this. You're right. That's not vengeance. You're right. If I go back and I burn their house um, and their car or something, right, then, yeah, yeah, that's, that's vengeance. But like what I was trying to get to is, and thank you, you answered a lot of it. But a lot of people, you know, not truly forgive, but they, they leave their, they rest their case to God, or they say, you know, God will take my revenge. But isn't that still asking for vengeance? Or isn't that still <laughs> like God will do it? So, you know, you're, you have to get you for that. <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't truly forgiven that person. You're just like, you're just wanting God to fight for you. But I think, uh, the the right way to do it would be to truly forgive that person and rest, mm. leave your case to God, and then it's up to God whatever He decides, instead Jim, of asking God to fight your case. Jim, do you know that famous story about the woman who was in a Nazi war camp? No, and she was a Christian. She well, she became a she became a Christian. She was. And and the the guy who the guy who tortured and killed a lot of the people in her, um, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Was oh, this Corey Ten Boom? Yes, Corey Ten Boom. The the is story this... of Corey Ten Boom. And she met the the Gestapo. She met guard. him. She met the she met the guy the 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 German guy who tortured and killed a lot of her friends. Um. Uh, became a believer. Right. Became a follower of Christ. And she heard him speak at a church. No, I think the story goes she was speaking and he came up to her afterwards. Oh, okay. Yeah. I knew I was getting the story wrong. It's no, a, it's a powerful story, Ali. 
but just, it, it really, Molly, it really this shows you how much we prep for this the podcast by the way this shows you how much <laughs> we're on top of every detail <laughs> but this story, this story this this story um really shows sort of the power of what you're talking about uh ali about forgiving somebody um can you summarize it jim like you know well, the, even I, if you don't get the facts right like people can look it up yeah, so the quick way I remember, she was speaking after the war because she became Christian and and did you know uh, wrote uh, the Hiding Place and became very became very famous and she she did a lot of traveling and speaking and 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 this guard was in the audience one time when she was speaking and came up after her up to her afterwards and said, I um I I heard everything you said and I become a Christian too since the war and Jesus took my sins away. And I, uh, I hope, I hope you can forgive me too, because she recognized mm-hmm. him right away. And he held out his mm-hmm. hand to her to shake her hand. And she wrote about that later, talked about how, like, at that moment, she was thinking, "What do I do? I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I, yes, I, I, because I it's so hard, right? I can't forgive." But, but she did, she did. She like because the gospel says, "Look, you know, we're all lost sinners." But this person was the embodiment of evil to her. She had to, mm-hmm. t- to to reach out and take his hand and say, yes, I, forg- I forgive you too. But um, the power that the, the feeling like I can't forgive this at that moment was so strong. That's why I, I remember the story, Greg. Is that what, what you were thinking? Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. And then the other story that came to my mind is the story of the Amish, um, the school shooting. Oh, yeah. And the awful. community, there was a there was a school shooting in an Amish community and they this guy killed all these little kids in the school, but then the whole Amish community came out and publicly forgave the guy for killing their children. Can't believe it. And it just blew the media. The media couldn't believe it. They they were just like, how can you forgive this guy? You know? And, uh, the, the power of forgiveness, you know, forgiveness is almost more powerful than vengeance. Yeah. You know, so that's a great, that's a great question, Ali. So anyway, mm-hmm. Ali, you and I, we, we talked about this passage about how there's right. some, the marks of a true Christian and yes. that love, love is like one of those things that uh, is one of the distinctives of, of uh, should be a distinctive of a Christian that you, that you meet, let your love be genuine. That's a good one. Boy, that's a good verse, isn't it? Yes. Um, love one another with brotherly affection. Um, so I don't know, Jim, do you have any any thoughts on this section as we... Uh... Well, macro and micro, big picture and then uh, drilling down. Um, big picture thing is, this is just, every, when you read it loud, loud like I was doing before, I was noticing, and it's one of the, I think one of the benefits of reading out loud, it's almost the staccato you know, uh, repetitiveness of starting every one of these with an action word. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Almost every one of these verses starts that way um, uh, with, with an action verb. So here's all the stuff you have to do. And, and the big picture thought I had, Greg, was we often talk about this in our podcast, but it's the sequence of the gospel, how critical sequence is, right? All of Romans 11, the first chapter, 11 chapters, all about the gospel, and, you know, you've been saved by faith, therefore you do this. So in, in loving response to what God did for you, now go do this. He, it would be totally different if he started, you know, Romans 1 verse 1, 
starts with this, right? And then if, if, if that, that sequence of the Christian life would be totally different, if he says, I'm just going to start off, lay it out there. There's a bunch of things you got to do. If you're a Christian, there's a bunch of stuff you got to do. He spends the first 11 chapters talking about what the gospel is and what it means. And now in light of that, here's what you do. It's the sequence of the gospel. And how do we say it, Greg? You said, um, I obey, therefore. I, uh, well, religion is I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. But the gospel is I'm accepted by God through what Jesus did on the cross. Therefore, I obey. That's it. Because I'm accepted by God. And, and that is so important, Jim, what you just said is if if this was the beginning of Romans, let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. All these commands about this is how you, you should live your life. Um, the only way we can live this kind of life is is what is by the renewing of our minds, by the Holy Spirit, by the being changed, being transformed by the gospel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Inside out. By having that peace, you know, it's by having that peace, by that faith in Lord Jesus. Without that, I mean, it, it would be so hard to practice all of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's so right. it's and and we talk a lot about it on this podcast that it's the Christian the engine of the Christian life is gratitude. Amen. And it's gratitude based on what Jesus has done for us, and that we spend our whole lives marveling at what Jesus has done for us. And and the cross of Jesus doesn't get smaller and smaller as we understand it. It gets bigger and bigger, and it becomes um like we fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. Like that's right. the more we meditate on what he's done for us, the more it changes us from the inside out. And I think that's the transformation that comes from the renewal of your mind. Right. Just as you, as you're right, as you dwell on him, but then they, you say, there are a lot of things in the Christian life you are supposed to do. Right. right? And, and then, so then the, the micro part of this is then you look at this and Ali, like you, there's certain ones that kind of zoom in on, and the ones that stick with you have this whole laundry list here that, you know, you, um, uh, that you, that you kind of, I, I look at and I think about, you know, which, which ones you like the most or which ones appeal to you the most. They're, they're all things we all have to do. Right. Um, or ones you have questions about, like here's about vengeance and like uh, leave you scratching your head and say, how does that exactly work in the Christian life? So the first big, big picture, picture thought, Greg, I had was the sequence. And how this is all about sequence, and then that, that, that like micro thoughts to say, you know, what does that one verse mean? Or oh, I like this one more than more than the rest. I think it's in verse yeah, verse ten where it says, "Outdo one another by showing honor." That's an interesting. You know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of the cartoon, and I forget it was like Chip and Dale, where where <laughs> the, the where they they're going like one of them opens the door and says, "After you," and the, and the guy's like, "No, after you." It's like. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Ali, yeah. you gotta, gotta be way too young. You're too young to remember that cartoon. No. But I remember a film with a similar scene where they were like trying to get into a bus and they were opening the door. They both got the door at the same time. They're like, after you. And then he's like, no, after you. So after you, so it keeps on going. You're trying to outdo the other person. Like, no, you first. No, you first. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, imagine, you know, all the awkward situations. Uh, uh, eventually, somebody has to yield, right? That's right. Oh, no, no. I insist. No, no, I couldn't possibly. You go first. <laughs> Chip, Chip and Dale was wonderful. We quote that in our house uh, all the time. 
I don't know. You go first. I couldn't possibly. You must go. <laughs> yeah, that happens on the stop signs all the time. Sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Two people arrive at a stop sign at the same <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah. You know, like, go, come on, go. <laughs> both of both of you wave, and then you know one of yeah. you inches forward, and... and then everybody goes at once. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's funny. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, which one of these, Greg? Is that the one that stuck out to you the most? Outdo one another and showing honor because that is that's an interesting one. No, I think uh, I, I really like uh, verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in the tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Yeah. I think if I could live that out, I would be doing pretty well. Like, especially the times that we're living in, just there's, it just seems like um, the world is just so broken. Yeah. And sometimes it just feels like, um hopeless you know when you think of just the brokenness in the world all the all the division all the you know broken relationships broken i mean um and then yeah. and then be patient in tribulation so i mean that's talking about trials and how life is hard um it's uh i have a friend at the gym who's uh um, an Indian gentleman, and I really like him. He's real, really neat guy. Every time I see him, he's always like, "Life is good. Life is good." <laughs> and I, you know, and recently I've been, you know, I'm like, I've been talking to him back, and I'm like, I I would put it this way: life is hard, but God is good. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's my worldview. But his worldview is like, life is good. Life is good. I'm like, it's really hard to look around this world and just turn on the news and, oh, yeah. and and say life is good. I don't care where you live, what country you live in. Yeah. I don't know. Do you guys agree? Am I, or am I just being very pessimistic? <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. Because life is hard, no matter where you are. I mean. Uh, but it's it's with the blessing of God that your life actually feels good. So it's God is God who's making your life make you feel so good about your life. So it's basically God. That's how I look at it. Yeah, like I appreciate what that guy is saying too. It's a nice way to greet. Yeah, because you don't you want to be say how you do good morning and he's, he dumps all his problems on you, right? So yeah, that's not so, that's not so. so what he's saying, yeah. hey, life is good. That's nice. That's a very pleasant, nice greeting. So I don't want to mm -hmm. pick on him too much. Um, but if you use that as kind of a mantra for life, and it's almost like out of touch with reality. If you just keep trying to tell yourself life is good, life is good. Because you're right, it's not. That's out of touch with reality, and life is hard. There's all kinds of things that are messed up. But I, I, I haven't thought that much about this verse, Romans twelve twelve. I, I think you're right. It's three commands in one verse, but if you just did these three things, you, you, again, you're doing these in light of the gospel, in light of what he's done for you. Now you're doing these things, okay? So this, get the sequence right. Your life would be filled with joy. Yeah. Rejoice in hope. I, I Man. Patient in tribulation. So you go through all kinds of things. Be patient in tribulation and then be constant in prayer. Yeah, you could say, if I just did, you know, the, if I just did those three things. You'd be pretty fruitful. Yeah, yeah, it would it would change your life. Which which verse stood out to you, Jim? I always like um, eighteen. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
you know, just the, the notion of like, it's kind of part of it's the, um, the, the pattern I've seen before this kind of the staccato relentlessness of do this, do this, do this, do this. And he gets to 18 and says, wait a second. Okay. If possible. Yeah. Two I think caveats. that's interesting. He's, he, he actually says if possible, cause he's yeah. basically, he's basically admitting sometimes it's not possible. Yeah. Well, right. And so he could have just done live peaceably with all, but th this one, he qualifies twice if possible, then it's so far as it depends on you. Right. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you can't always control the other person. So they might be folly filled with vengeance. They may be filled with anger. You can't control that. So, but if possible, so far as it depends on you, even if the other person is bitter and angry and nasty and whatever they are, you live peaceably with everybody. Um, I don't know. I, that, that first uh, jumps out to me. I always, I've always liked it. Mm -hmm. Ali, do you have a favorite one in this section? I think uh, verse 21 is probably the one that really, you know, sticks out to me, which is do not do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hmm. It's it's the most simplest, but also, you know, the most challenging in ways because uh, it's so easy to to get overcome by evil. And the biggest challenge, I think, in, in our Christian life is to overcome evil with good. So I think if we can probably do do this one task, we can probably achieve all the other tasks. Yeah. Mm. Overcome evil with good. Well, that's uh, Romans chapter 12. Let's uh, stop there, gentlemen. Um, thanks for tuning into this uh, episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.